and welcome back to Now Screaming. I'm Liz Smart. And I'm Evan Culbertson. And we're watching horror movies. And we'd like to tell you about them. Yeah! October, baby! Is over. It is over, but the spooky season continues because we don't we don't take October being over for an answer. No, we watch horror movies all year long. All year round. But this is our reflect this is kind of our reflections of October episode. Absolutely. Today's election day. It is. I hope you voted. It's at, I feel like it's after the polls have already closed, probably, right? It's too when late. are hearing this. When you're hearing this, it's too late for you to <laughs> so vote. So you better have already voted. Maybe you can listen to this and take your mind off of terrifying United States election yeah, results. this is a distraction, probably, for a lot of people. Certainly for us. We're going to continue using horror as a distraction. As we always do. Yeah, but it's escapism. So what are you talking about? Well, this month, we participated in an online movie challenge called Hooptober. Mm-hmm. This is its seventh year Yes. You say online. It is specifically a Letterboxd Letterboxd. Letterboxd.com. I'm Tacky on Evan on Letterboxd. And I'm Mirabright13. Um, our Hooptober lists are up on there. Uh, mine's a tag. Is yours a list? Yes. Mine's a tag. <laughs> but you can find it by looking at my diary and my reviews. And we watched... I watched 35 movies for Hooptober. How many did you watch? 41. Nice. And that counts movies that I watched in between September 15th and October 31st that I reviewed that were within the parameters. Yeah. Um, and some of them were rewatches for us. We watched all of the screams again mm-hmm. for the millionth time, which is never, never something I regret. But we did have some new favorites, right? Yeah. Some for, for me, some for you, some for both of us. So we're going to hop in. Uh, I'll start because we, I've really already talked about my number one favorite Hooptober movie this year, which was Jason Goes to Hell. I talked about it at probably too much length um, in our episode last week on Freddy vs. Jason. So if you want to hear me talk about Jason Goes to Hell, um, listen go listen to, to that. Yeah. And if you want to hear me talk about it more, it just went on sc- <laughs> on screaming, I was about to say. It just went on streaming. Uh, so if you want to hear me talk about it for an hour, uh, you know, let let us know because I will talk about it for an hour if you're interested in hearing that. But I love that movie. I was really excited to to experience it this month. Yeah. My favorite was, I still already talked about this in our Freddy vs. Jason episode, but James Whale's 1933, The Invisible Man. I had not seen it before. I am a big fan of the Universal Monsters series, uh, particularly the films of James Whale. And The Invisible Man was new to me, and it's incredible. It's really funny. It's really it's dark so and weird. Uh, I haven't read the H.G. Wells short story, or I guess is it a novella? I think it's a novella. But I I loved this movie. Uh, a classic that really lives up. Um, the, the 2020 Leonel Invisible Man is also quite good. Just has nothing really to do with this at all. Nothing to do with this, <laughs> but uh, the original is absolutely incredible. It's fantastic. It's so much fun. Yeah. Um, my next favorite was Diabolique, or Les Diabolique, uh, the 1955 directed by Henri-Georges Clouseau. It was required for Hooptober. This, or no, it, this was the highest rated 50s horror movie that you haven't seen. Which and is, can access. And can access, which it counted for me. It did not count for Evan because Evan had already seen it. Um, but I love this movie. It is very uh, ahead of its time, would you say, in terms Absolutely. of like a controversial like main characters. I don't want to say too much about it because uh, you should all just go watch it. It's so great. Where is it streaming? Criterion Channel. Criterion Channel. Just great little. You're not saying anything horror, about it. You should say murder like murder mystery kind of thing. It's Hitchcocky. Uh, Very Hitchcocky. It's decidedly yes. French and uh, a little bit gay, but it's just a little bit. Definitely Hitchcocky is the thing I would compare it most to. <laughs> I don't like that word, but yes. Hitchcockian. Hitchcockian. 
I didn't know anything about Diabolique before I watched it. I'm really glad I didn't know anything about it um, because it was so fun to just experience the twists and turns as they come. Uh, it's a fantastic movie. Everyone should go watch it. My next favorite was Joe Dante's 1990 film, Gremlins 2, The New Batch. I had never seen this before. I thought that I had as a child because I grew up on Gremlins, which I love. Yes. But Gremlins 2 is just balls to the wall <laughs> jokes and references. It is a postmodern media project that takes it's not really that much of a horror movie. It's like a meta no, comedy. Yeah. The way that like even less than something like Return of the Living Dead, which is a meta comedy. Right, but still very horrific. This is more fun adventure kind of Yeah. Meta comedy. I mean it's got the it's got spooky thrills, right? It's one of those spooky not scary in that kind of Hulu, yes. uh, yes, the way that they describe that. A Gremlins 2 is great. Has a big, I mean, it's it's a very much a Trumpian metaphor, which is less fun now, but was super fun back then. Absolutely. The bad news is that it was on HBO Max and expiring at the end of October. Oh, bummer. So you can well, no longer watch it, but I'm sure it's rentable. Definitely worth everywhere. renting yeah. or or buying. It's genuinely like a a comedy masterpiece. Yeah, I agree. The next one we're talking about is uh, Tillman Singer's Lose, 2018 movie. Um, one of the most interesting movies I feel like we watched for Hooptober. Absolutely. Um, it is about a cab driver named Lose. She is she shows up or she's brought to a police station and what follows is this very um, dramatic and I say dramatic in the way of like literally it feels like a play. Mm-hmm. Um set piece in multiple places, but mostly takes place in this police station. But through the use of sound and really excellent acting performances um, and some really tricky, fun camera work, there's just, like, the story that plays out is so excellent. And I was sitting there watching it thinking, like, wow, this is exactly what I said about what movie was it? Oh, um, they're watching where I said low-budget films have to be creative. They shouldn't just use low-budget effects. Which, again, I love their watching. It's a great, great movie. Go listen to that episode. But Lose is exactly what I was talking about in that, like, you can do some really impressive stuff with, like, no money if you have great talent and some really creative uh, camera and sound work. Absolutely. I think that their watching is, like... It's like a popcorn flick. Yeah. And Lose is very much from the art house. Absolutely. I would recommend it to people who like weird 70s European films. Not even just horror films, but like weird 70s art films. Uh, it's very Brechtian. Like you said, the theatrical element to mm-hmm. it. Um, I cannot recommend this highly enough. I agree completely that this is an absolutely great movie. It's on Shudder and should be on Shudder for the foreseeable future. Really recommend It's probably 80 minutes. Yeah, it's, it's very short. short. It's great, though. Cannot cannot give this a higher recommendation. Agreed. I'm very excited to see what Tillman Singer does next, because this was his debut. Uh, it's actually a student film, frankly. When and... you told me that, it just blew my mind. It made me so impressed and excited for what this filmmaker does next. Absolutely. Another thing I did in October was revisit and fill out the filmography of Rob Zombie, who... <laughs> I had seen a few of his films as a teenager, House of a Thousand Corpses, Devil's Rejects, his Halloween films. But I watched for the first time Lords of Salem, which came out in 2012, which I truly loved. Uh, I think that it's a little bit ahead of its time 
And that seems crazy to say about something made in 2012. But if this was released today with an A24 logo at the beginning, it would be a film Twitter darling. It is the same sort of like slow burn atmospheric film with hints of, you know, the the classic horror imagery that people love and also a lot of psychedelic nonsense that doesn't actually uh, have a literal meaning, but just is right. made to create gift sets. Looks good, yeah. <laughs> uh, and I don't say that as a criticism at all. I, I love movies like that. I love Ari Aster yeah, movies. Yeah, saying you made know. to create gift sets sounds like an insult, but it is uh, like stage pictures, right? Yes. Like... I'm being that, that, is, that is a true form of art. But I love these movies. Yeah. I'm like the, I say this very lovingly. This sort of led to me, like I said, watching all of Rob Zombie's movies and realizing that I like Rob Zombie a lot more than I did as a teenager, <laughs> which funny. I didn't know. You'd think it would be the opposite. You'd think it would be yeah. the other way around. Um, Rob Zombie's a really talented filmmaker, and I, while I don't necessarily agree with every decision he makes, and some of his tendencies are a little on the... Uh, he really likes the exploitation stuff that I'm not as interested in. And it's funny that it took me into my late 20s to realize yeah. that I really like Rob Zombie. I didn't actually realize that you were feeling this way when I sat next to you and criticized his Halloween 2 so rigorously. <laughs> I didn't realize why you were being so defensive, and now I get it. I think people are really hard on him, and to some extent I get it. But if you haven't seen his work in a long time, I would recommend you jump in with Lords of Salem. Uh, even if you've never seen one before, it's pretty different from his earlier work, and it's available on Amazon Prime right now. Oh, nice. Last October movie we're going to talk about is 1997's Cube, directed by Vincenzo Natale. Whose uh, films we've discussed two of on the podcast, In the Tall Grass and Haunter. Wild, because I would not consider this movie like either of those movies, and I wouldn't even consider those movies necessarily like each other. Very fascinating. Um, Cube is like Saw Prime, right? It's like a bunch of strangers in a kidnapped and stuck in some sort of mysterious puzzle torture box. Torture chamber. Yeah, torture box, torture puzzle chamber box. But I loved Cube. I've never really, I've never seen the Saw movies, um, so I don't really have anything to really compare it to in terms of torture chamber puzzle box. Um, but I had a lot of fun with this movie. I think that it's, we watched Cube 2 basically like immediately after, and I feel like it actually made me love Cube more. Because it was so stripped down and very, and it all felt very practical. There isn't a lot of like silly um, kills. It all feels very like sharp and real. Um, I think Cube 2 is a lot more like goofy, and this just comes across really and very sad. Like, you, I think you really get to know these characters very well and you really feel for them, and they all have these kind of really interesting special skills. And I, I don't know, I just, I, I found it much more enjoyable than I thought I would. I agree. Love Cube. So that was Hooptober. Yeah, watched it was fun. a lot of other movies. If you want to check out the other ones we watched again, Letterboxd. But yeah, that was it was a really fun month. I don't think I've ever watched that many movies in a month. I know you do regularly, but No, I have never watched as many movies as I watched <laughs> in October 2020. It was my it was I watch a lot of movies. I watch too many movies. I'll be the first to admit that. Yeah. It was the most movies I've ever watched in a month. Yeah. So I <laughs> it, it was intense. I, I made a joke at one point that we were cramming. Like it was literally felt like we were studying for finals. A little but bit. There was no test at the end. We just did it. This is our test, this podcast. <laughs> if anyone wants to test us on Hooptober, go ahead, because we're ready. We're primed. We also watched uh, some television this month. I don't know how we had time. I don't know. How, yeah, I don't know how that happened. Weird. But we watched The Haunting of Bly Manor. Uh, Mike Flanagan's latest in the haunting franchise for Netflix. Which I love that it exists. I love that this is like a franchise. It's very cool to me. I love both Hill House and I don't really love Turn of the Screw, but I'm like interested in it. I've read the book. I've seen The Turning 2020. So I feel like I'm weirdly a fan of Turn of the Screw, even though I really don't 
care for it as a property that much. Very strange. What did you think of The Haunting of Bly Manor? I didn't really care for it. I think that... Wow, all of the lesbians on Twitter are coming for you right I now. I know. I I am a big flan of... <laughs> are you a flan again? <laughs> a flan? A flan of... A flan again? A flan again. I'm a big fan of Mike Flanagan. We've sung his praises on this oh, yeah, podcast. He directed every episode of Hill House the preceding season and handed the reins over on this one to other people. I don't know if that is an indication of his lack of involvement. Again, not that everything he touches turns to gold, but... Oh, I think we've criticized him on this podcast before. Absolutely. Bly Manor, to me, is a deeply unfocused television series that has a couple of core ideas, and then decides it wants to take about 15 detours to yeah. get there. I thought the structure was a mess. Because um, I love the beginning. Yeah, I think I the, the, first the setup episode works. Was great, yeah. The, the, the main character, Danny, works, I think, I as love a, Victoria someone we too. empathize with, and mm-hmm. someone who, her fish-out-of-water story, I think, is very well set up. Mm-hmm. And her ghost, who she brings to the house, is an excellent, spooky thing that very quickly kind of goes away. We should say, uh, feel free to skip ahead in timestamps if you don't want spoilers. But but the second half of the series is each episode is basically a concept episode that goes through an elliptical series of flashbacks, either due to a character being dead and they have to discover that they're dead, or trying to fill in some of the backstory. And not only does it not make sense, given the framing device of Carla Gugino being the person telling the story at a wedding, mm-hmm. which is frankly kind of unnecessary and is only there for a sting at the end. Yeah. It doesn't make sense for her to have these digressions, but also means we're not spending time with the characters that you set up in the first couple episodes. Mm-hmm. And that time is moving so slowly for them that it's like, we get to episode six and you're like, oh, it's been two days yeah. since we started this. And it doesn't feel like two days and the show doesn't seem to think it's been two days, even though that's the reality of it. It's a very strange pacing. Well, yeah, it keeps leaving us on cliffhangers and then spending 40 minutes talking about characters Something that we'll else. never see yeah. again. You know, it's not just that they're... Some of it is histories of characters that matter to us, but some of it is... There's an entire episode that's literally just characters that don't fucking matter. Yeah. The 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 lady in the lake does not need a backstory. We just got to see... Uh, what's her name? Kate Siegel. Kate Siegel. Flanagan's got to show Kate. There's just, there's no point. If you over-explain the ghosts, then you're just taking all the fun of the horror out of it, and you're just trying to make us sad. And I think that that's what this show is trying to do. It's really just kind of trying to be, like, the kind of misery porn that people like. I'm using misery would, porn yeah, in a derogatory way. I wouldn't say way. it goes as far as misery porn, but I think you're right that it is trying to make people sad. It's whatever the the, the step short of misery porn where people just want to watch things that make them feel sad. To cry, yeah. Yeah, and it's that's what it wants to do more than it wants to lean into the horror elements. Because frankly, it abandons a lot of those pretty early on. Mm-hmm. Or gives us two minutes of them per episode. Yeah. I was really, really frustrated as this went on because I think that it just totally botched the storytelling. And it has a lot of potential. I think that's what's even more frustrating about it, is that if it could just be kind of, like, fun horror trash or just, like, any other kind of, like, historical haunting movie, I think there's a lot of them. But I go into this with high expectations because I really did love Hill House, although I think it also had kind of a botched ending. So I think maybe that's just sort of, like, what happens with... It tends to happen with long-form horror storytelling. I mean, people were also very unhappy with the... I, I haven't watched it yet, but unhappy with the ending of Lovecraft Country. So I'm I'm interested in seeing kind of where horror TV shows go because I think that there is a 
a big draw for them. I think people want to watch them, but so often they get botched. I think American Horror Story, season after season, they show a lot of potential in the beginning and then they just fall apart by the end. And, you know, it ha- it's just happened with a lot of horror shows I feel like you and I have watched over the past few years that just nothing seems to stick the landing. I'm sure there's something that has that I just can't think of right now, but as I'm looking back in my, you know, watchings of the last few years, it just feels like everything kind of falls short. So I'm interested to see kind of where we're going to go from here. Yeah. I will watch another haunting series in two years 100%, from Mike yeah. Flanagan, but uh, this one did not, did not work for did me. Did not impress, no. We also want to talk about the new film from director Bria Grant, who you might know as an actress, 12-Hour Shift, which is now available on VOD pretty widely. Mm-hmm. We really liked this movie. Oh, yeah. I think it's super fun. Um, it is a kind of... It's what you call it, horror comedy. Yes. It's definitely... Yeah, it, it falls right in that uh, category very neatly. Very gory. Uh, all takes place over one night which is always a fun premise for a horror movie. Over the course of one 12-hour shift in which uh, Angela Bettis, the main character, is wrapped up yeah. in... Uh, organ... Conspiracy. Conspir- yeah. yeah, what's the what's the organ trading? Yes. Like or, like illegal black market, black market. Organ, organ selling. Not a, not a recipe for disaster at all. It's really fun. I had a great time watching it. It is. Uh, I think that it when it leans into the excess, the gore, the, uh... Stereotypical characters. Stereotypical characters. The, like, really, like, s- like broader comedy. Mm-hmm. I actually think it, like, works really, really well. Yeah. Um, there's some particularly silly moments. David Arquette is in this movie briefly and gets to... So briefly. Re- ...really ham it up in yeah. his scenes. Right? This movie isn't trying to be grounded. It's kind of a madcap what happens when you're involved in black market organ trading and then... Things go awry. Yeah. And over the course of this night, things get crazier and crazier. And I think that it really nails the tone of the escalating mayhem. Mm-hmm. And the this is a horror movie. So the escalating gore and yes. disasters that ensue. And a great main character, I think. Someone who's very, like, not a stereotype, kind of surrounded by stereotypes, but is, like, a very fleshed out, interesting character who I really liked. Why Absolutely. People really like Angela Bettis from May and from the 2002 Carrie that a lot of people don't like. Yes, that's what I know her from. I always keep forgetting, but I've seen that I've seen that Carrie and she actually is very good in it. Yeah. I don't know why people don't like that. Patricia Clarkson plays her mother. It's pretty good. I think it's because Brian De Palma made a version and it was the first time Stephen King was ever adapted and yeah, it was really, yeah, 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 really yeah, good. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't like that movie as much as you do. <laughs> But I did see the 2002 TV version first, so preferences, I guess. It's certainly better than the Chloe Grace Moretz one. Haven't seen that. It's not. I don't, I don't care for it. <laughs> I don't think a lot of people do. We also wanted to talk about a movie that's coming out this Friday, uh, Brandon Cronenberg's Possessor. Yes. Brandon Cronenberg, son of David Cronenberg. Been in theaters for a few weeks now, but it's coming out on Friday. If don't look not, it up. Go Just see it. it. Uh, you need to have the stomach for Cronenbergian gore. But this is really interesting sci-fi spin on... Possession. P- a possession movie. Yeah. And it stars Christopher Abbott and Andrea Riseborough. And it's really, really interesting. We also watched Brandon Cronenberg's first film, Antiviral. Also interesting, but not successful in the same ways. This shows such His clear growth, growth from yeah. him as a filmmaker. That it, it, like, Possessor to me feels like the announcement of a new 
name in horror. But also you can see from antiviral to Possessor how interested he is in telling horror stories through like dystopian modern sci-fi, yes. which I love. I think it's so cool. I think it's just an it's an awesome thing to see as a director that he clearly loves to work with these themes. Um, but you're, you're so right. Possessor is clearly a step up from antiviral in a really exciting way. Fantastic cast, utterly fantastic story, excellent execution. Really, really great movie. You made a face at me when I mentioned the gore. Do you not think this is gory? I think I went in expecting more because Cronenberg, you know, literally makes me like gag a little, just the name. Um, and I think antiviral was, although I watched that after we watched Possessor, uh, antiviral is m- like more gross, and I kept expecting Possessor to it's go there. It's more medical. Antiviral it never more medical. did, and I just I don't like. Not that that's a bad thing. I don't. It's like I'm like oh, warning everybody. There's not enough gore. I don't particularly like gore, so it's like I was happy with it. I just didn't think there was as much as I expected. Sure, I think that when we recommend things on this podcast, I mean, twelve hour shift is gory. Possessor is troubling in many ways. Sure. I would... I, yes. It's the viscerality of Unsettling, it. Unsettling, for sure. 12-Hour Shift is more cartoony gore. Yes. I mean, like, buckets of blood still. Yeah. But there is violence in Possessor that I think you... I just wouldn't describe it as gore. I think that's where we're just coming up against a difference of just, like, definitely prepare yourself for Very a upsetting... Visceral, yeah, visceral, visceral violence. Ride. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is there anything else you want to say about it? No. Just go... Just go run this will be this will be showing up on uh i'm sure both of our end of year best movie lists i actually i'm ready to watch it again we watched it about a month ago probably yeah i'm ready to see it again uh it's really fucked up and good yeah it's great we don't need to talk about this for long but the dark and the wicked a movie we've also talked about on this podcast um in our fantasia fest episode from brian bertino uh director of the strangers Mm mm-hmm um, if you want to hear about that, you should go listen to the Fantasia Fest episode, but it is also coming out on VOD this Friday, uh, November 6th. Absolutely. So recommend that. that. Uh, a lot of people, you know, we, we quite like this movie. We found it really upsetting. Also viscerally like I think I like said upsetting. evocative was a, a word that I used. A lot of people like this movie more than we do. Yeah. So I think that we were, we were quite positive on it and there are, there are raves. And now there are diehards. About this film. Yeah. Uh, and I, I will say well. again, best poster of the year. <laughs> and then before we close, um, this is not a book podcast. This is a movie podcast, but I do read a lot of books. And in October, I read a lot of books and I read a book about movies. I read uh, the book called The Monster Show, A Cultural History of Horror by David K. Skull. Um, and if you are interested in the history of horror movies in Hollywood beginning in the 1930s, I would highly, highly recommend this book. I learned so many things. <laughs> Made so many connections I never even thought I would. It was published in 1993, so there's a little bit of, like, you know, of the times moments in it, but far less than I would expect. Same with Men, Women, and Chainsaws, right? Like That's so much worse. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Men, Women, and Chainsaws is kind of a nightmare, um, even though she did uh, coin the term Final Girl. Uh, That's really all that's good about that book. Monster Show's fantastic. It's excellent. And I actually find the author very, very empathetic um, in a way that I was did not expect for the 90s. But it talks about, you know, it, it, it discusses Frankenstein and Dracula at length and, dis- and calls them the Dark Twins and basically, like, outlines their influence across the entire history of horror movies in Hollywood. And it's about so many other things. It's just, it's a really, really awesome book. I highly recommend it. It's written a little bit academically, but actually far less than I expected and is, I think, found very engaging. Lots of pictures. 
Uh, it's just so fantastic. And again, it, because it's about horror movies, I feel comfortable recommending it to all of you. Um, it was super exciting. So many fun anecdotes. I just loved it. I'm reading it right now. I know. You're going to love it. I'm so excited for you. <laughs> That's it? That's all of it. That's October. Wow. I know. Quite a month. And we're, and it's still going. We're on a John Carpenter marathon right now. We are in the middle of a John Carpenter marathon. The spooky season doesn't end. Thanksgiving is essentially canceled this year. So we we got to keep Halloween going until maybe even after Christmas, like into the new year. It's Halloween forever. Instead, watch The Last Thanksgiving. <laughs> right. The new film out of Salem Horror Fest. Mm-hmm. There's plenty of Christmas horror to watch as well. We'll be covering that in the coming months. Yeah. Our next episode will be about Frank Henenlotter's brain damage. Keep a lookout for that next week. And most of all, I hope you voted. <laughs> There's most nothing all, we can do about that now. Tonight is probably very stressful for most of us, probably all of us. I can't imagine people who voted for Trump listen to this podcast, but if if you do, if you're out there, fuck you. Um, There's just, no way. I just want to put that out there. You know who you are. Fuck you. But yeah, hopefully we're all getting through it together watching some horror, doing some escapism, bonding together like the community that we are. Absolutely. We're here for you, friends. We here for you. We love you. We here. We here for you. <laughs> we here for you. Let's pivot to a vegan succession <laughs> podcast. All right. Stay safe, everybody. And stay spooky. Stay spooky.